The thing about autocracies and dictators is they're quite brittle. The only way that Ukrainians are going to win is by political factionalism in Moscow, getting the upper hand and there being a coup. The war will never end while Putin's in charge. I, to my mind, the most interesting thing about the rebellion is 100% large bits of the Russian military stood on the sidelines. There's absolutely no way that they would have been able to drive several hundred kilometers towards Moscow without the Russian military at the very least sitting on the sidelines, let alone I'm sure some of them actually declared for Prigozhin, right? What we do know is that this has seriously weakened Putin. My guest today is once again, Dr. Mike Martin. Mike has appeared on the podcast several times before, and among the many things he's doing in life, he's become one of the go-to voices for insights and analysis of the war in Ukraine. Mike has authored a number of books, amongst which is still one of my favorites on conflict titled Why We Fight. Mike also recently released a new book titled How to Fight a War, which I'm told is an outstanding read that details why wars are won, and perhaps more importantly, why they are lost. I'm yet to receive my pre-ordered copy as the book is getting released in Australia on the 1st of July, so in a couple of days. Mike joins me today for an update on the war in Ukraine, especially on the events that transpired in Russia over the past week. Mike, welcome back to the Voices of War. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good. Good to see you again. Okay, well, let's let's get straight into it because the audience is very familiar with uh, your background, uh, I suspect. And for those that aren't, uh, I will put uh, links to Mike's previous episodes where you can hear a lot more about him. Uh, but Mike, from where you're sitting, what the hell has happened uh, over the past week uh, in, 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 well, in Russia, obviously? What is going on? Um, I, you basically hit the nail on the head. Um, so the thing about autocracies and dictators is they're quite brittle. They have this impression of strength and you have a strong man, right? That's what, that's what an autocrat is. You know, mm, Putin mm. is a strong man. And they project strength and it all looks very, very strong. But there's a huge brittleness underneath that. And the brittleness comes from the fact that all power is centralized in that person rather than, you know, in a democracy, we sort of spread power around, don't we? Mm. We have checks and balances and different mm. organs of state and, you know, courts and parliaments and executive, and they all sort of balance each other out. And so mm. it's, it's much less brittle because you've got this interlocking system. But in a place like Russia, all power flows from one person, so it's mm. all very brittle. Mm-hmm. And the way to think about how Putin runs Russia is, I mean, there's two sort of models. One is a kind of a like a mafia-type gangster mm. sort of thing, and we've all watched, I don't know, The Sopranos or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And the other way to think about it is a sort of medieval court where you've got a king and all the barons are coming up to them and, like, you know... The king is trying to play the barons off against each other to make sure that no one gets too powerful mm, and can mm. threaten him. And that's kind of what's been happening, really, is that Putin built up Prigozhin and Wagner, partly because they were competent and mm. they were able to, they were just more efficient and able to get things done in a way that the sclerotic Russian mm. state. And, and he could wash his hands off it as well. It wasn't. Uh, he could... 
Right, exactly. And then, and he was sort of happy to tolerate them when they criticised Ministry of Defence. You know, he was quite happy when there was a bit of a beef going on between mm. Ministry of Defence, because that keeps them focused on each other rather than focusing on him. And the, and the war in Ukraine has been a disaster for Putin. It's weakened mm. him massively. It's his project, and it's and it's been an absolute disaster. And so, to have lots of different organs of state competing and it's not just the military and Wagner it's the Chechens it's that the inter- different intelligence services mm. it's the you know all of these different organs of state it's the St Petersburg gang versus the Moscow gang whatever mm, mm, mm. and to have all those in a sort of soup where they're constantly looking at each other going who's gonna you know what's the who's in favor who's not in favor that suits Putin because it enables him to stay in power but it doesn't make for a very efficient state or government or particularly military like you can't project military force very successfully if if your troops in ukraine are sort of highly factionalized between different competing stovepipes and have and, you seen that have we actually seen that that kind of division play out oh for between sure the yeah for sure for sure um so wagner over they've been largely responsible for taking Bakhmut right since the beginning of the year mm. it's kind of the only um, success really that uh russia can claim if you want to call it a success, right? This year, ye, uh, yes, I suppose so this year, yeah. I mean, I think last year over the summer they took Severodonetsk. But, I mean, is it a success? Because, you know, they focused in on it. It was Putin's goal. Wagner accomplished it, but at huge cost. And, mm. and it had a number of, you know, the Ukrainians realised that Wagner were trying to take Bakhmut and they deliberately didn't just give up the town they at, at some cost themselves but much lower cost than what the russians incurred mm. they sort of fought an attritional defense where they retreated very slowly and did as much damage as possible as the russians mm. and what that did was that tied the russian focus up in bakhmut which enabled the ukrainians to build up this counteroffensive force which we're now seeing start to be deployed although mm. far from fully deployed at the moment so i think actually whether and and the, and the and the Russians now losing Bakhmut, right? Because mm. Wagner's pulled out, and the mm. army are holding it, and then they're losing it. The Ukrainians are moving in on the flanks. So mm. was it worth it? Probably not. And the other thing that the Ukrainians did is they realised that there were these divisions between Wagner and the military, and so on and so forth. And they deliberately used Bakhmut as a way of exacerbating those divisions mm. Mm. between. So both. In what they were doing on the battlefield, so they would sort of differentially allow, uh, uh, you know, retreats and attacks, depending on who the enemy they were facing was. But also they were playing a kind of an underhand, you know, an intelligent game where Mm. they were sowing the seeds of dissent between Wagner and the military. And we know that Prigozhin, the head of Wagner, was talking to the Ukrainians and potentially giving up some Russian military commanders. And so the Ukrainians were playing this very clever intelligence game. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Because I, I, I'm sure. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with it, so I'm sure there'll be other people. Yeah, check are... it. So that basically, it came out later on, but mm-hmm. basically, it turned out that Prigozhin had had several contacts with the mm. Ukrainian secret service. Right, right, right. Okay. And one of the things that came out was that he was kind of discussing Russian military positions and stuff like that. Now. Is that true? Is that not true? I mean, if it's true, fine. But even, even true, so, it's just, play, yeah. But it's a black op. You know, yeah, it's exactly. the whole thing is designed to so a seed of doubt, yeah. so dissension, right? Mm-hmm. And then we see that dissension bubbling out into open rebellion. Mm-hmm. And so, that I, you know, I think you can see what the Ukrainians did in Bakhmut over the last six months as nothing but a complete success. 
Mm. Um, firstly, because it tied up the Russians. Secondly, because it allowed them to exacerbate this dissent between the two major factions on the Russian on the Russian military side. And you know, zoom out a bit. The only way that Ukrainians are going to win the war in Russia is by political factionalism in Moscow, getting mm. the upper hand and there being a coup. The war will never end while Putin's in charge. So mm. therefore, everything the Ukrainians do is about exacerbating factions and trying to bring about political change in Moscow. Mm. Mm. And so everything that you've got to look at everything they do on the battlefield as being geared towards that goal because they're never going to kick out every last Russian out of Ukraine. That's just not going to happen. Right. And so here, the Ukrainian method of victory is at odds with what the West wants. So this is the trap that we see. The mm. West wants Russia to be kicked out of Ukraine, but mm. actually they probably prefer Putin to stay in charge because they don't know what comes Better next. Better than the devil you know, possibly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, right, and that what comes next could be much worse. And Russia and has likely 5, would be right if if Putin nukes, goes down. Yeah, chances yeah. are it won't be a you know a Western leaning <laughs> Ukraine loving. You, uh, <laughs> oh, it definitely won't be. But it might be worse, or or even worse than that is Russia mm. splits into several different mm. fiefdoms, mm, mm, and the big mm, problem mm. is the nuclear weapons. Yeah, like, right. That yeah. is the major problem: who yeah. owns physically the nukes, and then who controls the lawn, you know, the ability to launch those nukes. Mm, 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 mm. So, in this sense, there's a tension between what the way that Ukraine can win. And the way that the West wants them to win, everyone wants Ukraine to win, mm. but it's just the different routes that we go about it. So I think there's a slight tension there. Um, I'll pick up on that uh, a little bit later. The I'm just I'm just okay. signposting it now. The everybody wants Ukraine to win, of course. You know, certainly in our audience, I suspect there will be a large percentage. Uh, you and I obviously do, uh, but maybe we'll pick up on that uh, a little bit later on uh, sure. because I'm keen to hear your thoughts on the kind of strategic. Uh, picture and the geopolitical games uh, that are being sure. played and who's watching what. Uh, but I also want to just pick up on the, this idea of brittleness and that, you know, it was in Putin's interest to keep, you know, Prigozhin, um, you know, Shogu, Gerasimov kind of all in this tension. Yeah, That to me just uh, seems just, just insane given what's happening and the risk that brings, right? So uh, is this... Are you confident that this is a, a game that he was playing, or is it is is it just literally all running out of his hands? I mean, is he losing grip on power because these guys are now feeling empowered to? Well, these guys. When I say these guys, I mean Prigozhin, uh, that he feels empowered that he can challenge Gerasimov, you know, and Shogu publicly as he as he has done for for months now. I, I don't think you have a choice if you're a dictator, right? You have to some you know divide and rule you ha- you have to play factions off against mm, each mm, other mm. it's the only way you're going to stay in power because if you create a proper hierarchy where you have someone who's in charge of everyone else and they report to you that person will then you know inevitably mm. challenge you for your position mm, mm, um mm. I, to my mind the most interesting thing about the rebellion is at 100 large bits of the russian military stood on the sidelines there's absolutely no way yeah. Yeah. that That's they would have been yeah. able to drive several hundred kilometers mm. towards mm. Moscow. Mm. Yeah, it's just, just bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> without the Russian military, at the very least, sitting on the sidelines, let alone, yeah. I'm sure some of them actually declared for mm. Prigozhin, right? Mm. And we've seen some clear outs in Rostov, right? Where the Prigozhin, we've seen some people being arrested and whatever. So we know that some people did go over to Prigozhin. Mm. And it, you know, it, how it seems the Air Force stayed loyal. 
because mm. we saw some of those attacks. But you know, the although they didn't of- shoot, there's a bunch of. I just read earlier today that a bunch of pilots are now being investigated uh, oh, for, for not not engaging Wagner and go. potentially being prosecuted for disobeying a lawful yeah. order, which it was right yeah. in, in the in the defense of yeah. the state. Uh, yeah. You know, the state was uh, on threat, so therefore it was a law- lawful order. Right, and the defense of Moscow was people digging ditches in yeah, roads it's with crazy. diggers. It's it crazy. was not crazy, deploying yeah. an armored division. Mm, mm, mm. Right? Yeah. It was civilians getting out there and whoever Putin ordered mm. getting out there to dig ditches in the road. Mm, it mm. was not. It was not. Where is the 37th Guard Division? I just wonder about the 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 this point about uh, Russian soldiers being kind of on, a, on the fence. I, I suspect they probably were confused as hell. Because uh, in in this environment where everything is in question now, you, you just don't know who you know. You've got Russians shooting Russians who were trying to escape, you know, <laughs> from the front lines, and I'm sure that's seeping in. So the morale of the troops yeah. must be just abysmal. Now you've got you know the best troops, Wagner, turning onto Moscow. I mean, I suspect even if you were supportive of Putin, I suspect it would be difficult to mount a resistance because. Holy shit! Like if these guys are against us, hold on, something's obviously going on, uh, which is perhaps this confusion of these twenty-four hours. No one really knows whose side they're on. They're just kind of following the guy that's in charge at the time, you know. Which is, which is again, really something we see in these types of authoritarian regimes, you know, or where when, when people came out in Rostov carrying Wagner flags. That reminded mm. me of images we saw. In Kabul, of people coming out with with <laughs> Taliban flags, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just kind of like, oh, okay, f- who's next? You know, these guys is- are in charge now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like pre- preservation, right? Yeah, but when Wagner left, they got cheered, didn't they? So at that point, you'd think you'd think that they'd be welcoming the police back when the police came. Yeah, and there were actually took roadblocks. Over yeah, when like, Wagner yeah. left, the police were booed, right? So that's not that's not a good sign. I I think you've got to look at how coups work, right? And so the main thing about coup is it's all about momentum. Because what happens is, like you're saying, everyone just looks, everyone goes, oh, oh, coup's Mm. happening. And Mm. they look around and they go, who's going to win, right? Mm. Straight away, it's all about making a judgment of who's going to win and then joining them. Mm. Because you don't want to be on the wrong side. Yeah, that's right. That's just human psychology, right? (laughs) That's just human psychology. And it seems that where we got to was... Every rather than everyone immediately being loyal to Putin, which is what you'd expect, right? Look, if someone tried to launch a coup in Australia, mm. the, the Australian army, there's no question mm. that the Australian mm. army wouldn't immediately, mm. you know, spring to. Yeah. Um, but that didn't happen in Russia, right? And, and you know, as we've discussed, there's definitely acquiescence standing by. Mm. And clearly mm. what they were doing was going, who's going to win? Mm. Mm. Who's going to yeah. win? Yeah. And then we have this Which weird patch am I wearing tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. And Prigozhin then heads off into exile, but that's acting against his own interests. So, you know, what's going on? What was the deal done? Well, yeah, Lots what do you of make rumors. of that? What's your, what, what have well, you been reading, hearing? I mean, the only thing I can think about is that, and there are a few sort of rumours. This was, I supposed it, I mused it, and then um, on Twitter, and then there were some reports that came out the following day that... They basically, the Russian FSB got to all the families of the Wagner commanders. And, you know, Prigozhin's family, right? That's the easiest way to Mm. think mafia boss. That's the easiest way to um, stop these things dead. 
<laughs> but uh, don't know. Wow. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Because why would he give up? Like he was two hundred k from Moscow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I've I've read you know various analyses, and you know, one of them that seems the most salient is that he never really wanted to do it. He was forced and pushed, and he didn't really have a plan post. As in, he didn't have a rubbish plan what post. Rubbish. Uh, what's he going to do in the Kremlin? If what what Prigozhin? Yeah. Up. Uh, yeah, but he. Yeah, but what's he going to do in the Kremlin? I mean, I don't know. As in the way the way then, I read it I mean, was that this was you know he mm. he. He he wanted attention, Putin's attention, uh, and it you know it kind of all spiraled out of control before we realised, holy shit, I'm actually uh, 200k from. I don't think he, <laughs> from I don't Moscow. think humans. I don't think humans work from that. Like he's not stupid. He knows that if he launches an armed rebellion, he's a marked man, mm. and he's got to win. Mm. Mm. Yeah, if he so doesn't win, then he's a marked man for the rest of his I life. Mean, so is, is he's he, a marked is man he a, now. Yeah, is he is he a dead man walking? If he's even walking i mean we haven't well, seen much or heard much is from he him. dead or is putin dead i don't know mm. i've got no idea i don't have any special information maybe he takes over belarus i mean who knows like mm. the, it doesn't none of it makes sense which means there's a load of information that we don't have mm. um mm. what we do know is that this has seriously weakened putin mm. right you could you know if you're a strong man and you have an armed rebellion on your territory mm. Not to mention the kind of all the stuff going on in Belgorod, you know, all the sort of mm. Russian Freedom Legion or whatever, mm, you know, mm, coming mm, from support mm, from Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that's not good. That's not a good look. The war's going badly. The Ukrainians are about to, you know, have some battlefield successes. You know, they haven't even deployed most of their strike force yet. They're already Wagner have pulled out of Ukraine. Right? That's twenty five thousand mm. of the most competent soldiers. Mm. That's a mm. huge hit, right? Mm. Bakhmut. There's gains. The Ukrainians have made a crossing over by Kherson over the Dnipro, mm. like the Tokmak axis, you know, steady progress. Vuladar, still steady progress. Like something's going to give at some point. Mm, mm, and the Ukrainians are going to make some some big gains. And, you know, it's just. And again, you get these fact, you know, a faction can use this as a narrative to blame Putin and mm. say, we should be in charge and we're going to win the war. Mm. And the Americans don't, let's not make any bones about this, whichever faction can turn up and say, we're in charge of the nukes, the Americans will go to them and say, we'd be delighted to welcome you back into the international system as long as you end the war in Ukraine. Do you reckon they will do that? Of course. Yeah. Well, I I mean, because I think, again, again, it comes down to controlling the nuclear weapons, right? And not having them dismantled sold off mm-hmm. whatever auctioned on the dark turn, web turn up anyway. you know and whichever power can say oh we've got we've got control of the news this is why we basically what we want is a military coup in russia right that's mm. the best of, of all outcomes because the russian military you know they're not uh, you know they're pretty, pretty run bunch but but they're a lot better than the kind of ultra nationalists mm. in mm. moscow and um, you know, these are the people who are on TV every day saying we should be nuking Europe mm, and stuff. Mm, the mm, Russian mm. military aren't saying that. The Russian military are organized, they cover the entire territory of Moscow, and they're currently in charge of the nuclear weapons. So it strikes me that a military coup is actually the best outcome. Mm. And they're also people who are kind of, as you know, you know, we're both military people. You know, you're in, you're indoctrinated into bigger things when you join the military, right? In the sense mm. that you take on you know responsibilities and you think about the state and you know that's probably a credible negotiating partner for the Mm, us mm. and for china Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it enables them to say, you know, we didn't want to go into this war. We were pushed into it by Putin. We're just following orders. You know, we'll withdraw. You'll restore our position in the international system. We'll guarantee nuclear security. I don't know. That's the kind of grand bargain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that I suspect that we're heading for, um, or I hope they're heading for, because the other option is Putin, you know, loses power, dies, falls out of a window, whatever, and mm-hmm. some crazy nutter takes over. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, w- again, just having read over the last 24 hours what's happening, I mean, he's, he's, he's making appearances, you know, I think on national TV and he's trying to play it off as, uh, you know, he had, un- he, he had it under control. He was, he didn't sleep a minute during the, uh, during the uprising or the coup attempt. Um, and now I think he's, yeah, I bet he did. That's right. Yeah. But now I've also read, uh, well, it was the uh, New York Times that put it out. Uh, Surovikin was, uh, was also apparently arrested. So, you know, the second in command who apparently That was the guy who did the hostage video on the night, right? Was yeah, sent that's out right. to yeah, do yeah. it like was... with an AK on his knee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. What is it? Uh, a general But look at that. That is a yeah. that is not a that is not a regime that's in control, right? Mm. That is not a regime that's in control. You trot out a general looking disheveled. It's Friday night. They've all been yeah. on the piss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You go to whichever bar that general's in you give him a set of combat fatigues and you give him an ak and you film a hostage video you know that is not (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) this is not a great power that's in control (laughs) yeah and he's now under well if if true that he's under arrest because he was uh apparently supporting uh prigozhin and you know that's because he was also apparently again right uh quite critical Uh, of of Shogu and right. uh, Gerasimov, right. so so there right. there seems to be a purge uh, of you know Prigozhin and his crew. But purges make the system less stable than more stable, right? It yeah. might shore up the stability of the system in the short term, but mm-hmm. purges then build up more enemies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Which makes it more brittle again. Makes it more brittle. So it shores it up in the short term. It looks stronger, Mm-mm-mm. but it makes it more brittle. So the 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 situation basically basically accelerates out of control you know if you're an autocrat mm-hmm. and you've got everything nicely balanced you've got mm-hmm. all of these acolytes playing off against you that's great but gradually you have to purge and punish mm-hmm. and whatever and then gradually it becomes more and more brittle the system yeah especially when all the pressure as well that so it's not just the internal pressure it's external pressure it's ukraine uh it's the rest of the world uh you know still probing and and, and undoubtedly yeah. as you said it's an intelligence game uh, i have no doubt uh that uh you know, many Western powers have their fingers uh, in that pie as well, uh, in shaping. Yeah, and we saw, you know, we saw China. Mm. We saw a Chinese ambassador a couple of days ago say that. Well, yes, I think you know we should look at restoring Ukraine to its 1991 borders. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's right. pretty massive, right? right? Okay, that's I, huge. I didn't right. see that. That's huge. Okay, who, who yeah. was that? Sorry, who did you say it was? It was Chinese. What? It was a Chinese ambassador. To... Ambassador. Yeah. You have to Google it. I can't remember. Yeah, no, it was that's a, fine. Kind no, of no. like a, oh, okay. You know, it was obviously, you know, an official. Well, they're just flying a kite, aren't they? They're flying a kite. It's not like a settled policy position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He said, oh, I don't see why that shouldn't be the case, is yeah. what he said, right? It wasn't like, here's our policy, but yeah, it was yeah, definitely yeah. flying a kite, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, their everlasting and deep friendship or whatever it was <laughs> looks pretty mm. shaky. Mm. What did you make of the claim or the offer to the Wagner soldiers to, what was it, either return home, uh, go to Belarus, uh, or sign contracts with the army? How many do you suspect 
would have taken uh, option C. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. So go home, maybe. <clears throat> um, it wasn't signed contracts with the army. It was signed contracts with the military or other security forces. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's right. Yes. And that's yes, the yes, key yes, yes. point yes, yes, because yes, yes, yes. they're okay. not going to serve in the Russian military because mm. it's hierarchical and inefficient and all the rest of it, right? And Wagner. One of the reasons Wagner's successful is because they are, you know, have agile and able to move. Yeah. Agile. Yeah. yeah. You know, mission command type stuff. And so they might go into one of the other paramilitary forces attached to one of the intelligence agencies or whatever, right? Mm, mm, mm. I mean, that talk about talk about making the system more brittle. So one of the players, obviously, is the FSB and the GRU, right? Mm. GRU is fairly close to Wagner anyway. But let's say that lot join one of the paramilitary arms of the FSB or the GRU. Well, then suddenly you've got a bunch of pissed off people who are motivated but then also working with another faction. Like it's kind of like rearranging the deck chairs. Mm, mm. So will they go to Belarus? I don't know. I mean, this idea of camps in Belarus, that doesn't make sense. Like none of it makes sense. Mm. Why would you, why would you allow an armed force to exist on the territory of a neighboring country? That's a really quite a weak country. Doesn't make sense. Mm, mm. Lots to, lots to look at over the next uh, days and weeks and months ahead. But, um, what are some of the scenarios you see play out? So give me give me your most likely and your most dangerous from uh, from from Ukraine's perspective. From the perspective of, from Ukraine's perspective. Yeah. Given what we've seen. I, I think that what do I think is the most likely thing to happen? I suspect that we will see not much happen for a little while, you know, a few weeks. And then I suspect Ukraine will suddenly burst through one section of the line and flood in and and there'll be a bit like the Kharkiv moment mm, in mm, September mm. last year. The mass collapse. Basically what well. they're doing, they're doing like basically recce, recce by force at the mm, moment, mm, right? Mm. I mean, you know, battalion level, <laughs> brigade <Yeah>. minus, <laughs> recce yeah, by it's force. crazy, the figures, yeah. yeah. Um, and I suspect at some point they'll spot, and because they're smashing all the Russian logistics, at some point a section of that front line is going to collapse. Um, so that I suspect is going to happen. Uh, I haven't got a clue what's going to happen with the Wagner tail. Um, it seems to me they're just waiting in the wings, right, to take advantage of stuff that's going on. I think Putin's incredibly brittle, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some other, you know, this deal has just delayed the inevitable coup, mm. right? So whether that Ukrainian success on the battlefield and the Russian coup are linked or, you know, it's not it's not really clear what sequence they'll come in. But, you know, there's a reasonable chance that both of those things will happen before the end of the year. Mm. Um, and um, I guess the most dangerous... I think the most dangerous for Ukraine is that they fail to... No, neither of those two things happen. Mm, mm. And next next year they're entering into the US election cycle, yeah. presidential cycle, and then it makes it harder for them to support Ukraine because you know some of the some if you look at the runners and riders in the US presidential mm. election, not all of them are supportive of Ukraine. So you know, support Ukraine might become political football, and the argument we made that you gave them all this stuff and they haven't done anything. Mm. Whereas if the Ukrainians do have some successes, Biden can make the example saying, look, well, we gave relatively small amounts of money. 
compared to the Pentagon's yeah. budget. Yeah. And yeah. we degraded the military of a major geopolitical competitor. Yeah. Mm. So, mm. you know, that's a pretty good argument mm. to, mm. to make going mm. to the polls. Like, is a great value for money argument. Mm. Um, you know, with the help of the Ukrainians, we have basically destroyed the military of a major peer competitor. Mm. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's rocky because what happens... Well, as we discussed earlier, what happens if there's a coup, someone crazy takes over, the control of the nukes falls into one set of hands is bad enough, but what if it mm. falls into several sets yeah, of hands? Multiple, That's yeah. the really dangerous, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. And look, there are safeguards built in and nuclear launch codes and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully there's enough safeguards built. I mean, I'm, I'm far from an expert in Russian nuclear security, but hopefully there's enough safeguards built into that system that it doesn't, mm. you know, splinter, fall apart. Yeah, although we've been disappointed more than once uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. by the by the alleged might of the uh, Russian uh, yeah. capabilities. Um, yeah, not- I mean, if their nuclear arsenal is anything like the rest of their mm-hmm. military, mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably rotting somewhere and uh, uh, <laughs> very poorly maintained with uh, flat tires. <laughs> 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 on that note Mike uh, before we sign off um, tell me a little bit about this uh, this book then, that's uh, in the mail for me in a couple of days yeah, what's the book about yeah, so and, how, uh, yeah. How to, yeah, yeah How to Fight a War um, is it does exactly what it says on the tin right it, it's <laughs> written in the second person so from me to you Maz mm. and it explains to you as the commander in chief what you need to do to fight a war successfully mm. and mm. the major obvious pitfalls that everyone always falls into because basically we fight wars all the time but we're not mm. very good at it look mm. at Putin total failure mm-hmm. well, look all at us. of the west right, yeah, Afghanistan exactly. yeah. Iraq yeah, total failure right. like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. so we're really bad at fighting wars but actually it's quite simple in conceptual terms or mm, in kind of mm. how to do it. Obviously the detail is in, you know, actually carrying that out. Mm. So, you know, it's split into chapters, strategy, uh, logistics, morale, training, right? Those are mm. your four like foundations. Mm, if you mm, get mm. them right, you, you'll be able to fight a war. And then we have a chapter on land, uh, air, sea and space information, and then weapons of mass destruction. And then there's a final okay. kind of section where it all gets brought together and it explains how, as a commander in chief, how to fight a war. Mm. And um, it, it, it's written to the commander in chief. So hopefully, some of the people who are going to fight some wars read mm. it. And the reason mm. we want people to fight successful wars is because they're over quicker and they achieve mm. their geopolitical mm. objectives. Mm. If you fight wars that are unsuccessful, you end up just revisiting that war mm. again in a couple of years' time to try and resettle it. Well, the aim of and war should be to achieve achieve a just peace, right? So, and if you can do that quickly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. And but I think what a lot of people, if you if the Amazon reviews are anything to go by, obviously mm. been out mm. in the UK for a bit longer. Mm. Yeah. Just coming out of Australia yeah. now, and then in America in August, um, and various other countries are in the pipeline. Mm. Right, but the Amazon reviews, you know, lots of kind of people who are not interested in military stuff. Have found it fascinating because they find that they can now watch the news mm. and understand much better what's going on because mm, they've mm, got the kind mm. of context. Like it's written in plain speak mm. um, rather than dense jargon, you know. That's and great, it was designed yeah. so that people can pick it up and go, oh, look, I just, I now understand mm. what's going on. What they're on talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, if it's anything like why we fight, I uh, can't wait to read it. I'm sure there's another podcast episode uh, on the book with uh, uh, Michael, cool. with Mike von Clausewitz. Uh, but, yeah, um, we can apply it to Ukraine, right? We could go yeah. through the principles and 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 have a look at how the Russians and how the Ukrainians have done. Um, great. That sounds yeah, great. Sure, well, be great. my book, uh, well, my uh, my copy is in uh, in the mail in two days from now, so uh, it's very timely. On that note, Mike, it's always a pleasure. Uh, looking great, despite the lack of sleep that I'm sure you're under <laughs> with with all the various things uh, things you're uh, you're doing in your life. But uh, thanks for your time once again, mate. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Mas. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Voices of War. And since you got this far, please take a moment to like and review the show wherever you get your pods. Thank you, and until the next time.